Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio, the all-out struggle for truth on the Internet Airwaves. I'm Kevin Barrett of TruthJihad.com, and I also have my substack, KevinBarrett.substack.com, where you can get early access and free downloads to all these shows. And I interview all of the most interesting people with the most explosive ideas, often the most controversial ideas. You may not agree with all of them, but it will broaden your horizons to listen to the folks on the show. And I think most of them are barking up the right tree one way or another. And that would include today's guest. Uh, now, Claire, cool. remind me how to pronounce your last name. Cool. Okay. Uh, Claire is the leading exponent of the move for secular Quranism. That is the notion that uh, law based on the Quran al-Karim, the holy scripture of Islam, is of universal uh, accl- universally universally applicable to all applicable to all cultures and civilizations and could be used in a sort of a secular format and indeed should be so that's uh, obviously a very uh, interesting offbeat idea which has of course gotten clear all kinds <laughs> of pushback from you know, the feminists the uh, pro gender mutilation crowd everybody who hates traditional values really hates Claire uh, but I actually kind of like her. So thank well, you, Kevin, welcome, for having me. Thank you for having such a hate figure on your platform. Um, it, it must be, well, quite heavy by now with all the things that there are um, for us to hate. <laughs> That's true, yeah. The uh, injunctions against uh, so-called hate speech are kind of ambiguous. It seems that mostly the hateful censors want to from censor us them and from their ideas, hating things. But, but and ours are very hateable, and everybody hates them. And we get cancelled for saying our hateful <laughs> ideas. It's not a level playing field, is it? Not it, not at all. No, those of us who hate the idea of nuclear war and all the suffering that that would entail are getting uh, pushed back, censored, deplatformed uh, for, for that, uh, that so kind of hate speech. Well, they don't call it that. They're, they, all, they're so wrong and so stupid. And, well, why can't we stop it? I don't know. Um, I, I think that I, there seems to be sort of a critical mass where, uh, you know, opinion can sort of tip from one direction to another and so far, that critical mass on a lot of these issues has never been reached, mainly due to the bad guys' control of Western mainstream media. I think that's the uh, the tipping point, really, will be when the Western mainstream media uh, gets so discredited that it can no longer put up barriers to uh, big public opinion shifts. And, and we'll see. what I think that may not happen until a major military defeat uh, or a, an economic collapse or some combination thereof. And I think when that happens to Western countries, we may yes, see Yes, it, it seems to me that anybody who's thought about these matters will, will just say, well, it's a CIA that's in charge of Western media. That's how they keep, how, that's how they control their global empire. Right, but then it's the oligarchs who are in charge of the CIA. It was a bankster Wall Street uh, mafia from the very beginning. So it's, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's hard to tell precisely who's in control, but it seems to me that there's a Western bankster oligarchy that wants to conquer the world militarily and financially. And John Perkins says they're using the financial weapon of Reba or usury as their main weapon. And the military side is just the backup, but I think it's about equally 
uh, both. And so I, I think when people uh, support nationalism rather than globalism, they can make a mistake, as Alex Jones, among others, has by thinking that the enemy is some sort of, oh, these, these terrible people off in some other country who don't like America and American values and they're just globalists. But enemies no, I think those globalists, those, they own the U.S. and they own the U.S. military. They're going to conquer the world using the U.S. military and then they'll have but, their globalist The empire. idea that the enemy is within is a very Islamic idea, isn't it? I mean, wasn't it Muhammad who said that the greater jihad is the struggle with oneself? Well, that's true. That's and that's, of course, an enemy even further within than just within the gates of your own country. It's there's an enemy within the gates of your own self as well. The nafsul amarabisu, the soul that desires evil, and that uh, that's a great concept because desire, you know, is the root of suffering, as the Buddhists said, and the desire to aggrandize the self or the lower self is in many ways the root of suffering and evil. And mm. so I think both Buddhism and Islam... And, and Judaism exactly has right. this idea of the evil inclination. We know the good, but we choose the evil because that's how we... how we. Well, I mean, they, they say it's the ego. We, we, for reasons of personal survival, must think of number one, which is us and our, our best personal interests. But um, going too far the other way would actually endanger endanger ourselves as well as the group that we are part of and it is the group that we are born in or which we choose that give us the protection that we need and the the nation i would have thought is the group that is big enough to matter but small enough to care well the nation is is an awfully big group these days here in the united states we have well over 300 million people now but you lost the idea of many being American. I mean, there, there used to be all kinds of accusations of, oh, you're being un-American because you said this or that. Not that I necessarily agreed or disagreed with it, but there seemed to be this concept of what it meant to be an American. And, and I find myself saying things like, well, it's un-American to want a monarch. That's the most un-American, un-American thing I've heard of um, coming from an American. And to my horror, there are lots of Americans who, who say they wouldn't mind king meeting an absolute dictator yeah, I, I imagine right yeah I, when we talk about sort of un-american some people use that reflexively and viscerally without any thought but i think those who actually are thinking usually would see that term in the sense of there are traditions mainly growing out of the bill of rights and the rule of law and then uh, anybody transgressing on those would be un-American. And, of course, that uh, there are a lot of un-American people in charge these days because they've transgressed horribly uh, against the tradition of the rule of law based on the Bill of Rights, uh, especially since 9-11. It's really gotten out of control, um, and especially in the past five years or maybe even seven years of yes, increasing Internet censorship. Theme. But, you know, Claire, let's, let's move to the really controversial stuff because all of this stuff, you know, is uh, – you know, we can easily agree on that, and most of the listeners probably would too. But let's get to the stuff that a lot of people have a hard time with. Uh, this whole notion that the Quran uh, has legal principles and indeed specific uh, legal strictures that could be and indeed should be universally ac- <laughs> applicable. And that's a crazy uh, idea for most people. And, you know, we can maybe quickly get out of the way, you know, where you and I agree. Uh, on this very controversial proposition that patriarchy is good. 
you know, that's, it's, it's a bad word now in the educational system in the West. But you and I would agree that patriarchy, meaning the rule by fathers, is basically good because men, uh, being supercharged with testosterone at least 20 times as much as women. It used to be, I think, 30 or 40 times. It seems to be declining. Uh, but still, uh, men, uh, have this extreme aggressive energy that comes naturally. And they also have a lot more muscle mass and they're physically larger. That's called sexual dimorphism. And so men who haven't been tamed into taking responsibility for women and children, that is men who are not fathers, are basically rapists and pillagers by nature. Now they won't always necessarily go out and massively rape and pillage, but they sure are, they sure tend to. They have no reason really not to. And so any civilization has to be ruled by fathers. That is men who have uh, given up their selfish nature, which basically just wants to rape and pillage, uh, following their testosterone, uh, high <laughs> and instead are taking responsibility for women and children. And such men having been tamed by the institution of marriage, which is the basic institution of civilization, then are the people who should largely be ruling partly due to their, uh, desire to rule based again, based on their innate, uh, wanting dominance due to their various biological factors, including testosterone, but also uh, due to the fact that there is a gender dimorphism in terms of IQ. So uh, because women are more clustered around the mean, which is about 100 in, in the U.S., for example, that men uh, are, are not. They're, they're far more really bright men and really stupid men. And so what that means is as you get higher up on the IQ ladder, like let's say of all the people above a 150 IQ, the great majority of them are going to be men. And so the people who are especially bright and especially capable in various ways because of this kind of sexual dimorphism where most women are clustered around the mean in so many ways, that the especially capable people are going to be majority male. So that's another reason for uh, patriarchy rule by fathers. I think we basically exactly. agree it on is, that, right? It is a necessary structure to allow the people in a group to organize and defy their corrupt and incompetent ruling classes if there be such a thing to be defied and defeated. And because the West is now a matriarchy, there is no leadership, there is no organisational force, and coupled with um, general atheism, um, people are just not prepared to make the sacrifice, you know, to be the first to go um, and risk whatever um, because they will think, for egotistical reasons, that they have suffered. Uh, um, they have suffered if they sacrifice anything, and and, and people only laugh at them. And, and let's quickly define our terms here. Talk, talk, let's talk about what what is matriarchy as well, opposed to patriarchy. Patriarchy is a society prioritizing the preferences of married parents. Then matriarchy is a society prioritizing the preferences of unmarried parents who casually conceived and, and parented their illegitimate offspring. It used to be a sexual offense. Mm-hmm. And that means that there are many one-parent families, in essence, uh, where the mother is the only one in who's raising the children. homes. And we do see that. No concept of any right. tradition, because if you want any tradition passed on, you need a father who, who cares about these things. The mother is more interested in practical things. Well, tradition usually means cooking and putting up with um, guests and relations, and it's just more work for the woman. So she um, wouldn't be keen to take on any more of this, um, if not made to do so as a you know, familial duty. 
you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, festivals and things. Right. And, and there is statistical evidence from social science that seems to show that one parent, uh, mother led families in, in this matriarchy that, that the West now has become, uh, tend to raise children who have a lot more negative social indicators, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, mm. uh, criminal behavior, uh, sexually transmitted diseases, all sorts of negative social indicators do. Uh, yes, because the, the mother immediately uses authority over <clears throat> her adolescent son the, the moment he is taller than her. And that's quite early these days. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, I, I wonder if the popularity of gangster rap, which emerged from the American black community at a time when its family structures had been utterly decimated and many people would blame the liberals who passed welfare legislation in the early 60s that made it easier to get money to raise your children if you were unmarried than if you were married. And from in the 1950s, African-Americans had mainly been it's a married welfare trap. And it's their the children. same in and the that... UK. If you if you give people benefits for having illegitimate illegitimate offspring, then of course that's going to do that. That's and and if you give them less if they're married, you know, and giving together, then there's going to be few, fewer of them. So in in the UK now, there are more unmarried parents than there are married parents, which is actually um, not to put too fine a point on it, um, dysgenic. And degenerate, you know, in a biological, social and economic sense, uh, Westerners will find themselves getting stupider and weaker and poorer and lower in status, um, the, the more they condone widespread illegitimacy. But that's a sacred cow now. We, we can't question that because the culture is about uh, enjoying extramarital sex with another consenting adult. And what you're saying strikes me as fairly sensible and obvious, and it wouldn't really even have needed to be pointed out to people when I was born in 1959. Today, you say these same things, and people flip out. It's like, it's, it's yes. heresy, it's blasphemy. To the matriarchy, which, means, which, which is actually a, a very con- a convenient proof that we are a matriarchy, and this should cause us concern, and this is a word I would like more people to use to acknowledge the nature of their predicament. Because we know that, mm-hmm. well, officially anyway, that matriarchies, there are few, and they tend to be extinct, primitive, declining, or about to become about to be extinct societies and and they are well exploited and part of you know some empire and and so one wonders what is the appeal of matriarchy and i think is the answer to that the most obvious answer anyway exactly sexual liberation right uh, everybody is driven by their most primitive desires uh, the nafs al-amra bisu, the, the uh, ego that desires evil or the, the uh, seeks out to satisfy the lowest desires, means that with the right kind of propaganda, one can sort of propagandize young hormone-crazed people into supporting an agenda of sexual liberation that's going to end up destroying the society. That's what they're actually trying to do to Iran right mm-hmm. now. You know, these these riots in Iran by CIA-paid groups and organizations. You know, the the NED even admits that it spent well over half a million dollars in Iran this year uh, stirring up this kind of trouble. The whole point of it is to try to destroy Iran 
by destroying its uh, its family culture. And they, they're beaming these Iranian exiles in Los Angeles, living right next door to the people who run Hollywood, we know who those are, are beaming pornography and other uh, propaganda against family values into Iran uh, on a regular basis, spending huge amounts of money to do it in order to try to uh, trick the young hormone-crazed people into thinking that life in America and other Western liberal societies is paradise because they can screw anybody they want anytime they want, and they're all going to be extremely rich, mm-hmm. laying around pools in Beverly Hills, having orgies. And that sounds kind of fun to them, and so they're able to try to you know, stir up dissatisfaction with the reality of uh, healthy family-based mm-hmm. life in Iran. And But they're, what they're doing to Iran is just a larger scale th- example of what they've already done to the West, uh, which probably means that the West is on its way out. Um, now, you think that the solution to this would be to apparently impose uh, law based on the Quran on secular societies without anybody necessarily converting to Islam. And that's, it seems like a kind of a strange idea, even to me. I'm still, uh, I'm still not sold on it, but maybe you can, you know, give us the, the brief version of why you think well, that I would think be a solution. I think we already agree whether we believe in God or not that marriage serves a function of stabilizing society. I, I remember, you know, that this phrase, um, marriage is building blocks of society without, uh, without stable marriages, there will be no stable families. Without stable families, there will be no communities and therefore no sense of group identity. And, and this will mean that your group will keep disintegrating or fighting with each other because there are no rules. And it is religion that gives us rules about how to treat one another and how to treat others not of our group. Right, but why, why not just return to religion? The Christianity has plenty of patriarchy uh, in its tradition, so does Judaism. Why do you think that Christians and Muslims and the very the secular people, or the people who no longer have a religion, why should they all start because the it's a better book of rules? There, there are no laws of God in the New Testament. It's only the word of mortal and fallible men who weren't even Jesus, let alone God. So it's inferior scripture. Okay, yeah, and that, of course, is the claim of Islam, that the Quran is the last and best preserved of uh, well over a thousand revelations, which really just means a very, very large number, I, I believe. I don't think it was ever meant to be a specific number, but there have been countless divine messages to humanity through prophets or people who uh, have been the channels of divine messages, and Islam doesn't pretend to have the only valid one. It just claims to have yes because it's all written down i mean the dead i mean jews have this idea of the no hide laws but it's you know they there is no book of no no hide laws it it can only be derived from the torah which um which they put in the talmud which you know is comes after the 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 torah and they have to admit well you know it's only the word of mortal and fallible rabbis not god in the torah so they are in difficulties you know um, we're, we're, we're trying to to even tell Gentiles what they can and can't do. I don't know if you're familiar with the no height laws and what it forbids. Yes, I've, I've debated that with Adam Green, who is uh, fanatically against the no height laws and very much afraid that the uh, rabbinical conspiracy uh, is going to impose the no height laws. Well, well the thing uh, is... 
my problem with the Jews is that they won't talk about it more because if they did talk about it, they, they would have to be asked whether Christianity is idolatry or not. And to me, it obviously is. And, and, and this is something that is, you know, not pointed out, not repented of. And, and speaking as an agnostic, I'm, you know, I'm just imagining that if God exists, he would be, well, very disappointed with the Jews for not pointing out the idolatry of Christians and, and very angry with Christians for not seeing it. Um, but then if nobody's telling them, not even Muslims, how are Christians to, to know that they're guilty of all this idolatry and blasphemy for, nearly two two thousand years mm-hmm. yeah i mean i i hate to put it that sharply because the quran actually seems to be pretty f- friendly to christian christianity in but certain it, respects uh, it says that you know the, those who, the best friends of muslims will be those who say we are christians and then of course there are the covenants enjoining muslims to protect christians so it's seems to me that if if shirk or idolatry is the one unforgivable sin, as the Quran tells us it is, that the Christian version of shirk uh, is it's clearly wrong. The Quran tells you says not to do it, but I don't know if it's on par. I don't think it's on par with the lower forms of shirk. That is. That it's there, there's the Christian form of shirk is an ambiguous. Well, they do uh, shirk, say think, that, but and, I think they betray the their own principles by by saying you know stuff like oh Christianity is all right for for Christians, you know because they've been living in Europe for so long and they didn't fancy getting kicked out again for saying Christianity is idolatry and they wanted to do business deals with you know idolaters who swear in court about this or that. And, and so in, in the Middle Ages, there, there was some controversy about that. But there is no denying the existence of chapter 18, verse 4 in the Quran, is there, which, which commands Muslims to admonish those who claim that God has begotten a son. That's true. And I, I can actually relate to that personally. I joined a couple of friends. I had, had some Mennonite friends who helped, who built the log oh. cabin that we live in. And they invited me to their church, and it turns out this was not a Mennonite church. The guy, this guy, was going to a kind of a, a pan revivalist church, or uh, whatever, some kind of uh, sort of Protestant uh, uh, populist church. And it was, you know, it's interesting. It's okay, but when it came to the everybody sort of, you know, chanting that Jesus is God, or the, the you know, the insistence that Jesus is God, that I found that really uh, just. Uh, viscerally mm. hard to take, you know. It just seems it's so beyond reason. Obviously but, wrong um, because, because Mennonites are also Trinitarians, are they not? Yes, yeah. I, th- I think pretty much all of the Christians, except for the Unitarians and perhaps the Jehovah's Witnesses, to some extent, are Trinitarians. Yes. So, so the the, the, the it, there was a schism really at the very beginning of Christianity before it was even. Um, established as a religion of Rome um, at the Council of Nicaea in, in 325 because we know that Constantine knew that the imperial cult was failing, he needed a new religion so he called in the, the, the Christian bishops to the council to a council in Nicaea and said, you know, you guys agree a doctrine and I'll, I'll make it my, uh, the imperial, the, the religion of, of my empire. And they couldn't even agree. And, they, and, and that was when the, um, division between the Trinitarians and the Arians, uh, well, happened. 
Right. So, so today, if we're talking to American Christians, many of whom are not that thrilled with the Trinity or don't really understand the Trinity or a little bit embarrassed by the Trinity, uh, how would we say, well, you know, you guys can still be Christians, but look at these rules in the Quran that uh, could form the basis for a sane society. The same, you would probably agree with those rules. So, so what would be particularly the rules in the Quran, the first ones that you would point to to try to convince such a person to follow secular um, Quran? I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even approach it in that way. I, I would say, whatever laws that we have in our society, um, it needs to follow the principles of our chosen moral system. Islam is the one that understands the logic of this because, you know, Sharia is saying, well, if you believe in God and you believe the Quran that was sent to you from God, you should be following its laws, right? So that's what Muslims do with their Sharia. But what, what is it about Christians that they don't, they don't have any principles? You know, they say this and they say that and it's like, well, it was already, you know, it, it's from Judaism. You just, picked your Christian principles, you know, love thy neighbor, that, that's from Deuteronomy, um, and, and all the other stuff, you know, don't bear false witness. I mean, there's nothing original in Christianity except the requirement to worship Jesus as the co-equal of the God of Israel, who is also Allah. And that's, and, and, and you know, according to the Christian narrative, Jesus was convicted and crucified for blasphemy. So they can't even deny that, that, um, aspect of their own history. Um, but, but unfortunately, you know, even Christians can come up with any form of words to, you know, deny what you're trying to say, unless Jews and Muslims get it together to say, look, we've been trying to tell you, or you know, maybe we haven't told you hard enough, but, but now is the time for us to say that, because if God exists, he's going to be very angry with you guys, as well as us, for not telling you properly. And, and that is a narrative that should be pushed, because then people can understand. It, you know, we don't need to look at, you know, scripture and argue over the meaning of its interpretation or whatever. Um, we, we can just cut to the chase and say, well, if God exists, he'll be angry at all of us. And, you know, and, and here's a bunch of stuff that each of us could do to maybe... Uh, make him not so angry with us. You know, I, I think uh, there's some truth to that, but I think you're a little uh, hard on Christianity, perhaps unfair to Christianity in saying that there's nothing original in it. I think if we compare uh, Christianity in the sense of, of the Gospels and then the, the institutional Christian tradition to the Old Testament and especially to Judaism as exists today, Talmudic Judaism, um, of, you know, I think there's a, a big difference, a huge difference. Certainly, yes, the Christians in adopting the Old Testament as their scripture are kind of muddying the waters a bit. But when we really focus on what is proper to Christianity as opposed to Judaism, it's very different. It's, it's, uh, much more universalist. Uh, the teachings of Jesus, peace upon him, are very different from a lot of what one would garner from reading the Old Testament as scripture. Uh, in fact, I, I would, from my readings, I find the New Testament to be more convincing as a potential scripture, right? Whereas the Old Testament 
is so bizarre with this, uh, you know, if you want patriarchy, I don't know if you want a patriarch like uh, the Yahweh that's depicted in parts of the Old Testament, who seems uh, ridiculously arbitrary, capricious, jealous. Jealousy is I am a jealous said God. to be his first characteristic. Don't worship any other, or else. Right. Now, not worshiping any other is fine, but using the anthropomorphic emotion of jealousy, that is to imagine that what God supposedly feels is like what I feel like when I'm really jealous. Uh, and then, you know, God's anger is like what I feel like when I'm really angry. And then God's, you know, irrationality in imposing various kinds of uh, things on different characters in the Old Testament is sort of, you know, that like I would, I could only imagine being basically insane. Can, can you think of an like example? That. So I think of, there's a huge the problem. Crazy things that you might impose on the characters, of, just for the sake of argument, because I'm not sure which which stories you mean or which characters. Mm-hmm. Well, there there are a number of them. Uh, the you know, the go kill all the Philistines, of course, is is always. Uh, a good one, and the but the 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 way that in the, the, the Old Testament, God the Amalekites sorry? the Jews have a duty to genocide the the Amalekites. Right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That's one example. And then then there's the uh, the issue of the story of Job. But he was restored, the, wasn't he? Uh, he Old was Testament. in the end rewarded for, for well, his right. But but just the whole. The whole idea of uh, of letting uh, Satan uh, torture Job to that extent, but and the having Jews the, have the tortures idea. be the main Jews focus have this of the idea story. That, or the Orthodox Jews have this idea that Satan is the prosecuting counsel of God. So there is already the assumption that they work hand in glove. That um, God basically says, "Here are my laws." And and, um, and and Satan is the argent provocateur, um, whispering in the more the ears of mortals that they might get away with it if God doesn't exist. Why don't they try? Right, but if if, if you if you read the Job story in in the Torah and then read the Job story as it's uh, very succinctly summarized in the Quran, there is a very large difference in what you in the takeaway. The takeaway from the Job story in in the Torah. Could very easily be that uh, you know this 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 suffering uh, that God is imposing on us is really irrational, and that God is is irrational and capricious, and there's this tremendous amount of suffering, and, I, and we're really going to have to question God. And I think this is why in today so many Jews have been the leading atheists and secularists. Uh, because that's, they're, they're told to question God. Even, even the word Israel means the guy who wrestles mm-hmm. with or fights God, the guy who physically fights with, with God. Uh, so the Quranic version of Job, of course, is that Job was, was tested, he passed the test, and he was rewarded, and that's it. There's no undue emphasis on the possible injustice of what God was doing to him, because in the Quran, it's very clear that God is completely 100% just. And frankly, if you read the Old Testament, uh, just take it at face value, there's a lot in there that would make you question Because of obviously sex and violence, and really, you know, a lot of it is very nasty. Well, yeah, like, okay, okay, let, let's, let's look at the character of Jacob, otherwise known as Israel. He got the, he won the name Israel when he fought physically with God. Okay. <laughs> so this guy, Jacob, his, uh, his older brother, Esau, had the birthright. That is, he's the one who was going to inherit. But Jacob, the hero, the one that God likes, is a swindler, a criminal, a shyster, uh, 
a little bit like certain oligarchs we know these days. So he basically swindles his because brother so out of his stupid. birthright because by trading him some says. porridge when, when, when Esau is hungry. That, this is heroic. This is the guy that God likes. He likes the, the criminal and Esau, the honest but naive guy, God, uh, shows loses right and this is the but, kind of lesson likewise you, with the story of joseph this, you would you would check choose jacob as your leader you wouldn't choose esau as your leader if you really had to choose would you i'm, I'm sorry could you say that again uh, slow, slow. Uh, i'm saying that if you had a leader well okay american presidents and there, there, there was jacob and there was esau would you choose esau i i i, I suspect you wouldn't you'd still Right, but that has nothing to do with with God's uh, judgment of Jacob and Esau. That is, in the, in the Old Testament, it sounds like God favors the criminal usurper, and the neocons love this stuff. The neocons who are atheists basically think Judaism is really cool because there's so much in it that makes you into a vicious, evil, psychopathic Machiavellian atheist. That's why Michael Ledeen says that uh, Jews are naturally Machiavellian because of stories like that in, in, and the way they've been interpreted over the years. That's why there is this institutionalized group psychopathy in Judaism. And I do refer people to Lauren Guyano's book, From Yahweh to Zion, to get a sense of this and how it's operated throughout history. Uh, and so that, I think, is a huge problem. Again, and if we talk about the, uh, the, the, the story of... Uh, of not, I'm sorry, um, I'm, spa I'm spacing out on the story I wanted to refer to. But anyway, yeah, I don't want to go on to a long biblical rant but, but may I right address, now. But address uh, again, the, this tendency towards um, nihilism and psychopathy. And, and I'm saying a lot of Gentiles already think that way with, without, you know, any knowledge of, of these um, Bible stories. I, I'm sure that, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, well, the Bible stories are, are, talking about the human condition, of course. And I think you can read the, the Torah as great literature that explores all sorts of aspects of the human condition from the worst to the best. However, if you read the scripture in which you accept that this character of Yahweh is the one and only universal God for all humanity, and this, and you read the story of how he supposedly, you know, his how he's dealt with his so-called chosen people. Well, he's punished them. It's, uh, you would have to be insane to consider that well, to be actual scripture. Well, he has punished I mean, he, he he can make Jews his chosen people and, and keep them suffering because it's the easiest thing for him to do. And, and, and I think they know it I mean, with their Tisha Bab. Well, I, I think you have to, you know, really do a lot of interpretive work on the Torah or Old Testament before you can get a 100 percent perfectly just guy. Uh, uh, and universal. Uh, I, I would say that well, the story's not over. It's continuing. So you know, we we can't even say, oh, you know, the story ended because we're we're living characters, um, you know, playing out our our lives and you know, in the, the histories of our nations and civilizations, um, in response to the story, we we don't know the ending yet, and and, and all of us are are just briefly there in this eternal movie, um, you know, with, with only a very rough idea of what went on before and what will happen in the future, but perhaps with some idea that we are supposed to follow these eternal and universal principles that we keep thinking we might not have to, um, or that we might get away with not doing and cheating. And, um, well, maybe. I mean, it's, I, I, I think 
the the Torah enshrines a kind of cultural tradition that was very useful for the people who followed it. It became their tribal tradition. Yahweh was their tribal god, so they're more henotheistic in some ways than they are truly universally monotheistic. And yeah, it's it's worked okay uh, for worldly purposes, but in terms of their souls, I'm not so sure. And Christianity, it seems to me, based on the teachings of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam, was uh, revolutionary in that it, it came out of that tradition, but it then revealed the the truth that uh, about God, what God really is. God is really uh, ab- universal, not tribal, uh, and should have it originally revealed the fact that God is not anthropomorphic and not personal, and that Jesus was teaching people how to directly experience the reality and presence of God. And when people get far advanced along the path of experiencing the reality and presence of God, then um, miracles start to break out, what the scientists today would call psi phenomena. And uh, miraculous healing is, of course, a very well-known phenomenon that happens in all cultures. Some people are are gifted with that. And when people like Sufi saints, for example, and saints in other traditions get to a a high advanced spiritual level, then they can uh, heal people through laying on of hands, through energy healing, and so on and so forth. So anyway, Jesus was teaching about the reality of God, whereas the Jews were simply passing down this kind of legendary uh, tribal tradition that was in most ways obscuring the reality of God and substituting an anthropomorphized uh, patriarchal, a bad patriarch, a bad father figure as their image of God that was terrorizing them into staying within the fold and staying to you know, part of, of that group. And Christianity, then Jesus came along and revealed the truth about God and about how to approach God and about the way one should live if one wants to actually uh, live uh, in 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 a way that pleases God and get to draw ever closer to God. That's what Jesus revealed, which I think is more is similar to maybe what the Buddha revealed and uh, other prophets have revealed, real prophets have revealed as well, and as well as the real the prophets that are uh, distorted in the Old Testament. That's actually one way or another what they were teaching too. So I, I think I think Christianity actually corrects Judaism. It has a it has a a, a claim a legitimate claim to be. Uh, correcting Judaism, and I th- just as I think Islam has a legitimate claim to be correcting mm-hmm. both uh, Judaism and Christianity. Well, I suppose well, but Christianity, I imagine, would be the most uh, the most offensive to God because you know more offensive than Hinduism because at least the Hindus can say, well, we we haven't heard about this Christian thing, um, so we we just made our own idols and worship them. But, but Christianity is is about saying, well, you know this guy who blasphemed against God of Israel, well, we're going to worship him as the co-equal of the God of Israel. How about that? Can you can you try any harder to be offensive to God? Yeah, that, yeah, that's obviously a mistake. We are told to admonish that idolatry. However, the, perhaps the reason for that, uh, overestimation or that wrongful type of overestimation of, uh, Jesus alayhi salam, who is the one and only true Messiah, uh, born of a virgin and, uh, dispenser of many miracles. The re- the reason that people elevated him to that pedestal and started to make the mistake of idolizing him is that his message was so powerful and so necessary because the message 
uh, of the Jews, that the culture that he had been born into, was so wrong, so screwed up, so off the right path. Uh, they had so imperfectly preserved their tradition that his message had an extra punch. Like when the Buddha comes and sort of lightly corrects the tradition of the Upanishads, okay, that's a mild correction of a tradition that in many May ways I was know largely what was right. The correction that, that you know, some people made would... to the Upanishads because I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I, I think the, maybe it's not an actual correction of the Upanishads per se, but the people carrying down that uh, Upanishad tradition, the Hindus, had gone off in all sorts of different directions, and it had become kind of confused. They were uh, worshipping idols, of course, of various kinds. And the the Buddha uh, reframed the message in a very you know s- simple and powerful way, uh, cons- you know the, about the the reality that um, life is suffering, the root of suffering is is desire, and that liberation from suffering is possible. By and and which is basically behaving and, like dead people with no desire. I mean, it's I mean I come from that background, but it's impossible to apply in real life. Oh, no, I don't think so at all. I think that's it's precisely what is being applied by all of the great mystics of all of the traditions, whether they're Sufis, whether they're Christians, like people like Meister Eckhart, uh, or the whether they're Taoists, uh, essentially, uh, to and, and, and that doesn't make them dead people, it's the opposite. Everybody who's experienced that says that that's when they came alive and they realized that they were walking dead back when they were the slaves of their desires. But, but I mean, we can't all be, you know, living in monasteries, meditating our lives away, not wanting to marry, not wanting stuff. Well, that's true. And that's why Islam gets this right. Islam says no monasticism in Islam. Everybody is out to spiritually develop, but we're not expecting everybody to immediately suddenly become uh, a, a saint or a prophet. Um, but everybody is working on that. Everybody is fasting for a whole month in a really difficult fast. Everybody's praying five times a day in a time-consuming prayer uh, that's a kind of meditation where you have to totally focus on God for you know, several minutes, five times each day. Um, you know, everybody's supposed to make the Hajj if they can, and so on. So it's so it's a universal program, not for you know spiritual strivers and elitists, uh, as in many of these other traditions, where they you know starkly discriminate between the the, va- the masses who are basically just cattle, as as the Jews think of the goyim, uh, the, the the earthly people, uh, the people who will procreate and and grow the food yeah. and do all the work and yes but, but people without, and pr- without and principles are cattle forget you know whether they're jew or gentile because the only way that you can control cattle is through the cattle prod or through the carrot or stick you you know they, they won't have the you know principles and you know not do something because you know <laughs> because they know they shouldn't i mean so i i think this this label yeah. of cattle ought to be put on anyone who has no principles and unfortunately too many of us yes, or too many of our ruling classes don't have principles <laughs> and, and that's why indeed in fact the, the rulers these days and, are the worst and, and in that because respect. so many people have no principle that they can't follow the rules that are necessary for the group to uh, you know be healthy and um to to have a, a good sense of itself 
And, and that, I think, is a fun, fundamentally the problem, well, it, because they don't understand the rules, because there are no rules, or they've forgotten it, or they don't think it's necessary for them. And I, I think Christianity suffers from this, because there are really no rules in Christianity other than to, well, shut up and pray to Jesus. If you're feeling upset about anything, well, mm. just shut up, or, or you'll get burnt at the stake. Because that's how Christianity yeah, I, I, was practiced so that, in, good, in the old critique. world before the American Republic. When, when I think the founding fathers who were educated, enlightened, intelligent men said, no, we're not going to be told that Jesus is God or not forced to, to, to pretend to believe in a lie we don't believe in order to get public office. So, so that's why the American Republic is so important in the developing history of Islam to, 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 to also say that the First Amendment is based on the Quran, chapter two, verse 256, which says there is no compulsion in belief. Truth stands clear from error. Yes, I think that's a great point. And then we can carry that point one step further and point out that the rules that Christianity seems to lack, that Islam seems to have, and that turned into man-made rules with the uh, the founding fathers of the United States using reason to try to you know come come up with with good rules. I, I think the the problem with the uh, liberal tradition here in the United States. It, despite its its many uh, uh, good points, is that ultimately rules are not very compelling unless yes. they're sacred in some sense. And you can try you can try to make these rules sacred. We can you know put the Bill of Rights on a pedestal, and we can say, oh well, you have to do this because it's the law. You can't tear that tag off that mattress or walk, jaywalk across that intersection because it's the law. It's you know it's like sacred, and if you transgress the law, you know it's there's like you'll be breaking the sacred commandment. Blah blah blah. Well, we, we sort of have that mentality to a slight extent, but mostly not so much because. Hey, if you know, we know that a lot of these things are not sacred. It's kind of ridiculous if we look at the law books in the United States today to imagine that that's all somehow sacred. And so you end up with a certain disrespect for the law because people look at it and say, "Well, you know, this is all just this man-made concoction, and, and so much of it I can't even understand. It's written in legalese that only lawyers can read, and a whole lot of it seems to be designed just to help the powerful stay powerful and to keep the rest of us in our place." And most of it is is respected in the breach more than in the observance. Mm -hmm. So why should I even obey this stupid law? In fact, this law is so disgusting, I think I'm going to become an outlaw and systematically go around violating it or or what have you. So in other words, if you want laws that people actually are going to have respect for, they have to be sacred. That's where the Quran and Islam come in. Who were not politically correct. Right. And so that, that's, again, why I think you're onto the right track with your idea that uh, Islam does have the best legal system that is well-founded in terms of our knowledge of uh, anthropology uh, and human nature, and that that legal system is sacred. And fair and, enough. And I think that it's, it's good also... Part- interpret it literally yeah. without being offensive to humanity and reason. Exactly. So now we've, I think we've agreed on a lot of things. Let's, let's focus on our area of disagreement, which is, you know, well, yeah, I I, I have to, you know, I have to 
give you your your just due. Uh, and I I do admire your work, and I think it's a kind of a, a brilliant idea. However, uh, for where I think you know, I, I don't think you've really grasped the position. Uh, of Muslims, when you approach the Muslims and you say, you know, you Muslims should be the first advocates of secular Quranism. You should go out and be sp- preaching this gospel to get all of the non-Muslims to obey the rules of the Quran. Now, from a Muslim perspective, Claire, that feels like reinventing the wheel because, okay, we, we, we already have this tradition in Islam we have our, our laws that we strive to follow. It works pretty well for us. But part of that tradition is to allow other religious groups to regulate their own affairs. That is, we don't ask them to follow our rules. And secondly, our rules are not pure Quranism. Our, we have a Sharia, which is the Quran is the main source, but then it's also interpreted in terms of context, and that context does include the uh, Hadith and other sources. So uh, there's, there is this functioning Islamic tradition, and it's not just legalistic, but it also is a spiritual tradition, a mystical tradition. It all works together. And that tradition tells us that we should be letting the Christians, the Jews, and presumably the Buddhists and the not so horribly uh, shirk prone Hindus and, and other groups, Native Americans, all of these groups, you know, if, if you recognize the great spirit and you want to rule your affairs by virtue of what you feel is some divine guidance or revelation that you've had, you have a place in our Muslim society and you can run your own affairs. If you're Christian, you yes. can drink alcohol, etc., etc. So that, that's, yes. that's yeah. the Muslim tradition. We have an Islamic tradition. So you come to us and you say, well, you should advocate okay, secular Quranism. I'll advocate it in the sense that these people. Uh, and, and would allow alcohol. Of course it would. Well, no, the, the Quran is very clear that alcohol is banned, right? So if we're going to force the Christians to obey the Quran, then they, they shouldn't drink alcohol or eat pork. But that's not how Islam sees it. Islam says it's fine for Christians to drink alcohol and eat pork. Well, I don't know if it's fine, but we, but it's, uh, but, but it's they, not something well, that we would even Christians have... Um, public order offences for being drunk and disorderly. So, you know, we, we even people who drink alcohol know that they can't, you know, be drunk in public, drunk and disorderly in public. Right, right. But, but okay, maybe I'm, I'm misunderstanding secular Quranism, but I thought your basic idea was that everybody, including, let's say, Christians and Jews, should obey the Quranic rules. And that me- that does mean that they oh, should oh, no, not... Oh, no, no. I mean, I, I would have, you know, uh, um, ways of interpreting it. And, and I would say um, pubs and, you know, alcohol would be allowed. Um, in, in England, there is this rule that it is a criminal offence for a publican to sell alcohol to somebody who's already drunk. I, I would argue that it's actually quite Islamic. Um, you know, of course, you, you shouldn't be selling more alcohol to somebody obviously drunk. And it should be, uh, you know, a criminal offense. Okay, but, but Claire, that leads us to another problem with your approach here, which is that by um, if you're going to try to convince Muslims that we can reinterpret the Islamic tradition to say that alcohol itself is okay, but public disorder after you're drunk isn't, that's a big interp- reinterpretation of the Islamic tradition. That goes very counter to the vast majority consensus. Uh, and the thing is that in Islam, we've managed to preserve this really wonderful, very coherent tradition that touches on so many things, ranging from mysticism to legalism, uh, to metaphysics, etc., uh, etc. Et and we've preserved it beautifully. We have a pretty good consensus about 
all, pretty much all of the important basics. And the way we've preserved it without any bureaucracy to tell us and to force us, you know, and to, you know, to insist what the rules are and stuff is that we have had this strong emphasis on consensus and we've stuck with the base. Once we agreed that alcohol was haram, we stuck with that. So now you're asking us to come and sort of change these things and, you know, it, it feels like reinventing the wheel in a way that it won't roll as well. And, and so, yes, I, I, I see what you're saying about how it would be very beneficial for non-Muslims to adopt many of these legal principles from the Quran. I actually, I fully agree with that. It would be beneficial for them. But if you're asking us Muslims to be the spearhead of your effort, no, you should be preaching to the non-Muslims. They're the ones who need it. We already oh, have I'm just asking uh, you to the, the full it. tradition. But you, you, you won't, you won't support well, it because... I, yeah. I mean, I'll support it in this sense. Because it, it, <laughs> I'll say, yeah, Claire's right. Uh, if you guys had any sense, you would adopt okay. these, these rules. Yeah. <laughs> I'll support it in that, to that extent. However, uh, it, it, if I were going to preach to these folks who need secular Quranism, these, these, uh, you know, matriarchal lost people who are being ruled by Satanists, if I'm going to preach to them, I'm going to preach to them, you know, look at Islam. I mean, yeah, secular coronism and following these rules is a good thing. However, if I were you, I would just look into all of Islam because, frankly, for me at least, the spiritual dimension of it is even more mm. magnificent, uh, considerably more magnificent even than the legal. The legal dimension is only there for, you know, to make sure that the people at the lower levels of the spiritual path uh, still are able to function <laughs> in a non-disruptive non-disrupt- way that will eventually lead them to higher levels. But, you know, the best it's part is, is what it. you're finding is you get up towards higher levels. And I don't people from believing, because obviously if they believed, they would be more likely to follow it in greater numbers and for longer, making the world a better place. So I certainly don't dis- discourage it at all. Well, what I'm saying is, is that there has to be a, a bridge between what we have now to, you know, your ideal Islamic Republic of the future. The arguments have to be made now. We can't just wait for everything to crash and burn and not say a word. Can we? No, I, 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 I hear you, Claire. And, and I think the best way for you to uh, get this message out would be, and this is something I might even be willing to try to collaborate with you on. Uh, I've thought about doing this myself. Would would be to discuss the uh, universal uh, uh, principles of Quran. That is, uh, here are, you know, let, let's list the most important things in Quran that we can convince non-Muslims are good universal principles for, let's say, for a legal system. Do you have a list in your mind that you're going because to, in, I, to I think, tell us now? Well, well, you already have done some of that work, I think, with your discussion of the way that in, in Islam, Islam makes it very clear that we need to harness the, you know, the, the men, the men have, you know, the, the, that sexuality needs to be regulated in such a way that all children know who their father is and they get full support and the mother gets full support from the father. And, and that establishes the patriarchy. So that's, maybe the first one that comes to mind thinking about your work, but there are, of course, plenty of others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, uh, the legal principles are the most important and, and obviously the most resented because people don't want, <laughs> don't want to follow rules and they don't, you know, they, they, res- they resent their imposition, but actually most of us already follow rules. They are laws that, you know, we, we are subject to. 
Um, and, and I think the point should be made to people that actually there, there, might, there, there will be fewer laws once you follow the laws of God because, you know, I mean, it can be explained. Um, in fact, I, I, I had a conversation with, with um, Stefan Molyneux, who, who was an Islamophobe. I think he still is. And he, he and an atheist. And, he, and he, he saw the point of a, a, a book of rules coming from a divine source, um, actually keeping the number of laws and the changing of those laws down, because, you know, a a book of rules of divine law is, is in fact finite. You know, that the, the, there would be a list of them and, you know, there will be ones that are in conflict with it and, and not in conflict with it. And, 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 you know, that, that will, you know, keep things under control. But, you know, if we just allow our legislature to, change any law or repeal any law as they feel, um, we would, you know, be more oppressed by unnecessary laws, in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There, and there are other points as well. I remember a discussion with David Friedman, Milton Friedman's son, about how the uh, Islamic law is mostly self-enforced. It's not really set up to be just enforced by cops and courts. In fact, it's 99.9% mm-hmm. self-enforced and then to a slightly lesser extent by family and community. And only as a last resort would any official uh, law enforcement people come in. And he saw that as uh, it's, as the greatest legal system ever invented for anarchists mm-hmm. and uh, libertarians for that reason. But that's another topic that we'll have to get into later because we are now at the end of the show. So thank you, Claire Baha. I appreciate your excellent work on secular coronism. And I guess it sounds like you agree on <laughs> well, we most must of these things. Well, we must keep the point um, we don't agree on. I guess we'll both have to be deplatformed because uh, even though we agree with each other, I don't think we uh, tend to agree with the censors these days. Anyway, keep up the great work, thank Claire. You, God bless. Thank you for having me. Okay, take care. Bye. Mm-hmm.